0: So,
1: uh, have you officially
2: filed? Uh, no. I will, I file. I'll file that this year. That's the way. Good evening, good evening. Welcome to Real Talk Podcast Live with William Terrell. Tonight we have a special guest, Dwayne Hayes. How you doing? Doing well, Dwayne. From our noise. Yeah, how's it going? Good, good. Good to have you on. Thanks. Tell
1: us a little bit about your uh, your
0: organization, Noise.
1: Okay. So NOISE stands for North Omaha Information Support Everyone. Uh, We were founded last summer, uh, last spring actually, April of 2018, with the intention and purpose to provide information or help uh, wrangle it, aggregate it, bring it together for for folks. Because, you know, so what I say is North Omaha is the context, information is the service, and support everyone is the goal. Um, With that being said, you know, there's a lot happening just in general, in the world, in the city, um, in our own backyards. And so much uh, information is around us, but very little of it isn't tailored for us and given directly to people say, hey, you know, maybe pay attention to this because this affects you and you can affect it. Um, and so when we, uh, when we launched Noise, we wanted to explore as many different ways possible um, that people are connecting to information. Are, you know, are they using newsprint? Are they on the radio? People are on social media. But how do you get information to people and hope they do something with it? Yeah. And so, um, so since then, we've experimented and we've worked with the Star, we've worked with Mind and Soul. Um, we've been on social media, we have a website, and um, you know, every week we're finding a new way to approach people and help get information in their hands. How has the response from the community been so far? It's been really positive so far. I mean, first and foremost, we just try to be present. So show up, talk to as many people as possible, you know, give them a a paper, give them a sticker, give them some type of point of contact, Um, and then we get a lot of people following us on social media, um, and folks who check out our website, and um, that's been really positive. Um, But the challenge is still just, you, you wanna get to everybody. Know what I mean? You yeah. want to try to get to as many people as possible, um, but everybody's at a different stage with information and information literacy. And you know, you can have you could have all the info right in front of them, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're willing to take it. There's that there's that trust that has to be built, um, and an awareness that has to be built in order for the information to even be useful in the first place. Um, and so we're you know what well, Noise is trying to do is then reach out and collaborate with other organizations who are such as Black Men United um, that can help reach different audiences and show that, like, hey, this isn't just Dewan and just, you know, his team just doing a little bit of information. We want to really expand that reach. Uh, but in order to do so, you know, we need we need more hands.
0: Right. So is noise particularly for you North know, Omaha and its residents, or does it encompass? all
1: ethnic groups. Hmm. So yeah, the question was, uh, does North Omaha focus, uh, does noise focus just on North Omaha or does it encompass all ethnic groups? And I think both, honestly. I, I love saying North Omaha as a context because it is so diverse. It is a place that has an intersection of different you know, income brackets and ethnicities and religions and um, ages all present in a part of the city that oftentimes gets like, oh, that's just the black part. Yes, we may have a a very significant Black population in history present here. Of course, that is you must be aware, Um, but also understand that it's representative. um, I think it's a fantastic microcosm of what the whole country looks like, Um, and that's ultimately to our benefit, you know. And so, uh, with that approach, I think that if North Omaha does well, so does the rest of the city, and. And having that in mind, telling stories that happen in this particular part of town and then spreading it across the city gets people aware that, wow, there are other stories happening in North Omaha that aren't um, just one type of story. And that that was really what we came out of, was a response from the community saying, you know, coverage about us isn't necessarily by us. It's just about, you know, It might be just about the violence, or just about the poverty, or just about, oh, how they got out, but nothing about what people are doing on an active basis, Um, and how folks are working to activate people in the community and make change, and if you don't hear those stories, then you just think, oh, that part of town is just this way, and that's, that's not true. How has communities outside of North
2: Omaha received noise? Has it been good?
1: Has it been positive? Yes, I've actually, um, this work has actually um, given me the privilege to be able to travel across the country and talk to people about information and about North Omaha, Nebraska. It's been amazing to go into other parts of the country and meet people from all over the world who now have Omaha in the map of their mind. And, um, you know, this type of work is, is really proliferating all over the country. People are starting to recognize that local is best. You know, local is where you have the most power. Local is where you have the most influence. You know, you can talk to city council people and your mayors and your county commissioners and um, you know the people at, uh, at OHA and HUD and like you can have a real. Um, you know, we can have conversations about Medicaid expansion here and talk about how Nebraska is working to make Medicaid and uh, medicine healthcare accessible to the community. And so when you help people bring the context away from you know oh national doom and gloom to what is happening right here where you are and what you can do about it, there's something really empowering and encouraging about that. Yeah. Um first of all
0: um, we want to talk about economic development. and there's a lot going on in the
1: what do you think about all the development going on good thing bad thing and different ways? so there's a lot of economic development going on in north omaha what are my thoughts on it and you know kind of what is happening so yes 2019 is has been an incredibly active year um for a lot of for everybody but especially what we're seeing here in the northeast part of uh, the region of the city is you know, um, North Twenty Fourth Street right now is actually undergoing what's called a corridor study. Um, so they're evaluating from Ames to Cummings Street housing and transportation, and in that process, asking for feedback from specifically from residents about their housing experience and what kind of transportation needs they they have and um, preference about how the space looks and feels and how people interact in it. You know, the sense of community. Where did that? Uh, how do you? physically build and and maintain that sense of community. Um, You know, people are the most important part, of course, but if the environment is hostile towards the people, then you're not gonna have community. There's no place for you to gather, then you're not gonna gather, you know? Um, And so with this study, it's a way for uh, the residents and the city to first engage with one another, because that's really important, have real communication, it's uh, another point for the community to have its input um, directly heard and contribute to um, and inform the future development of Twenty Fourth Street, uh, which you know a lot. A lot of people recognize as a, a historic corridor that has um, a lot of cultural significance, as well as just a, a valuable real estate. It's just it, it's as simple as that. But um, it's what you do with it that really matters, and if who are you doing it with who is it for how is it being done and that's what the study is about is how do we do it right um, in a a way that you know historically hasn't really been done very well my uh, my biggest thing with
2: all the talk about economic development and revitalizing north omaha is how much um, how much is the community going to be able to benefit and have equitable stock in anything that goes on because you you look across the country and i was talking to some people this weekend in dc about gentrification and how bad and how bad it's affecting black communities they were saying in dc right now housing is unaffordable and they're pushing a lot of the the black people out of dc and into maryland and other places because they they don't got space for them and i'm just afraid of that happening here so For me, I think the conversation should always be about how can we make sure the community isn't displaced and
1: make sure that they have some type of stock in whatever happens. Yes. Um, I, I, I like to say this. The difference between gentrification and revitalization is communication and participation. If you aren't aware or being communicated with during the process and aren't a part of that process, then it's then you're, it's not a revitalization. You aren't a part of the vitality that is to that is to be, be taking place. Um, you are the displaced. Even if you are not physically displaced, you can be socially displaced to the point of wanting to leave. So yeah, your 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 housing could stay the same the same price even with the new development down the street. But because the new changes, you aren't a part of. It is no longer your community because you had no hand in, in the building, you had no hand in why things were created, you had, the, your, your input was not cited. But the challenges, ultimately, uh, there are a couple challenges, but one of the biggest ones is the connectivity amongst ourselves. If we aren't having a conversation amongst ourselves about our economics, about, about the vision we wanna see, of having, you know, we talk about platform a lot, you know, if we don't have our, our bullet points, our 14 points of focus that we want these things, then how can we say that they're not listening, or they're not taking any, any of our, uh, our perspective into account, if we don't even know what our perspective is, besides, we don't want that okay, how, is, how do you translate, how do you translate I don't want that into actionable points, that if, if someone is doing the opposite of what those points are, you can say, I need to hold you account to that, because this is what we laid out, and this isn't meeting those standards. Here's how you respond. You can say, I don't want gentrification, but in that, if one, the, the term can be really relative for some people, I mean, the definition of gentrification is to bring to middle class standards. Some people might say, that's great, I can't wait. But it's how you do it and who it's with and all that type that really has a major impact on on, on it. And If we're not talking to each other about our wants and needs and how we're going to work together to ensure those wants and needs, then how are we to expect other people to have that same consideration for us?
0: You know, you hit on something that's very true, but how do we bring the the different voices to the table so they can be more efficient in
1: addressing some of these issues? Mm. How do we bring the different voices to the table um, to make this more efficient? And um, something that with noise, we'll be rolling out here soon is uh, our text messages. So that we can send people text alerts about the uh, meetings that are happening and also be able to send people text questions, specifically asking them um, feedback on some of those things. Um, We don't have any kind of communication network like that that has been established that directly asks for people's input and support um, As well as sending them directly like hey this this uh, Medicaid expansion meeting on July 25th from 6 to 7 p.m. At Jackson, you know 1026 Jackson Street be there There's only way you would see that is if you saw the fire if you were connected to circles that talk about Medicaid Or you were seeking it out or you or you were on the right social network that would have this present. If you, you know, especially with these hyper-local conversations, the new, the, the television news is only gonna pick up so much. And um, other news media prioritizes other news. And if, you know, if, so we have to find ways to prioritize the information that we think is relevant and, and impactful to our community and help get it to them. And so um, in order to do that though, you have to ask people. So that's what I've been saying, like, uh, relationships make present is so important because when you start asking people what do you want to hear about they'll tell you I wish I knew more about that I would like to know more about this this is an issue in my life what can I do about that suddenly when you ask that and you say well I, I'm glad I'm glad you gave me that input you know we'll write a story about it or follow noise and we're gonna um, we'll make sure to take your feedback into account suddenly they are a part of that process And then they're paying attention because they're like, "Oh, my feedback is going to be shown is going to show up in here." And to build that trust enough to get them to the table in the first place. So, it I mean, it's been a year and it's it's a challenge. Just because you know, for a long time uh, we used to have neighborhood associations that have built-in social networks, and you know, everyone everybody, everybody went to church. People were involved in unions. There was always a gathering place for you to be. So word of mouth and the paper were enough because you would, see some, you would see something in the paper, you could talk to people about it, and then you did something about it. But now, not only are we physically separate, there's so much information, we're overwhelmed by it. And instead of um, hearing something and taking action, you feel like you can't take action because there's so much going on. And
0: I think, um, you know, you engage a lot. So, and I know I am, I know too but when you go to these meetings, you find the same people.
1: Same people. <laughs> yeah.
0: Same people. So, how do we get those individuals that, for whatever reason, they're disengaged, you need to have at the table to be able to have this
1: voice mm-hmm. and not just see me, you, Terrell, or you sitting at the table? How do you get other people to the table? Because that's true. When you go to these public meetings and you are learning about things that are going on, it's the same people. And you're like, man, I love y'all. Thank you for being here. Crew, we are good. But it can't be just the five of us, <laughs> you know? It can't be the same handful, especially with a lot of these, um, these public meetings about North 30th Street, you know? Um, there, there recently, um, just a couple months ago in May, the city of Omaha received $25 million for a Choice Neighborhood Initiative grant from HUD. That's why if you saw any inklings that Ben Carson was here, he was here today, and specifically to, um, in reference to to this this grant. Today, yes, he was here in Omaha today. Um, yeah, all right. And from from HUD, um, and apparently he was, you know, wandering around. But we also like, dang, there's a lot of us that are engaged that didn't even get to see the we word countering, You know what I mean? I know exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, how how do you find out? And there's literally someone just like, I heard. And so, um, <laughs> Uh, but so the city of Omaha got twenty-five million dollars, and then that twenty-five is going to be matched by you know local philanthropists and other fundraising and you know other organizations specifically to tear down Spencer Homes and build new mixed-income housing and to begin to connect and what they say revitalize North 30th Street.
2: Um. One thing. Yeah. Well, I guess it's two. I posted something like a few weeks ago about I I really strongly feel like there should be some type of rule, a law, a mandate that requires any community organization, government agency, or anything, if they're gonna have anything that talks about the issues that are affecting communities, they it it, it should be mandatory that they have at least thirty percent of that community like in the meeting, like if if you got a hundred people, 30% of the meeting should be people from the community. At least. And you should be required to devote some resources because that's the biggest thing. I think we say like people aren't engaged. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's true because when you go out, people feel strong about a lot of things. And then you're like, okay, if they feel strong about this, why isn't this person's voice being heard in these meetings? And I just think organizations and agencies aren't taking the time to really reach out to these people I don't even think I don't think it's the community I think it's, it's it's purposely done by a lot of people to not really engage the right people
1: I think I think to your point um, there yes there's uh, there's definitely that that limited engagement where people who are making decisions, Aren't at, aren't connected to the people that are going to be impacted by those decisions. Right. So when you have when you have you know very few actual representatives in that room to say hey what about this community and then no one's going to bring it up. It's one of those things that if you're not at the table you're on the menu. And um, so th- there's that. But I also think that it's a- about within the community itself having building its. Building, rebuilding its relationships and its communication abilities in order to okay we know about this meeting. how do I tell everybody and when I turn around I'm like okay well I can use social media I could try to go knock every door that's not very efficient um, I could try to put it in the paper that will get to a very select population of people we're talking about the Omaha star I mean there are people who still read and subscribe but how am I going to get the younger people I put it on snapchat like I don't have everyone's you know like you're you're, you know like how do you make sure that this valuable information is getting to everybody and if we don't have our own communication infrastructure then we can't we can't even share amongst ourselves to support each other's events and things like that so I think um, it's one thing that yes specifically the city lacks the communication infrastructure with its citizens period there's so many decisions that and things that are taking place that the city could be doing significantly better on just like helping you get connected. Um, and there is an app being developed and some other things like that, but the point being how c- citizens in general in Omaha, how they get information about the city has to, is through the press. It's not directly from the source. Um, and so what I see with noise is, well, hey, we have the opportunity to embrace technology, to take some cutting-edge approaches to getting information to people and what more direct personal way than to text somebody and say hey this is happening if you want to know more you can follow this link you can read more you can watch videos on it you can see you can see pictures about it um, and then you can forward this text to somebody or tell them to subscribe to this number and then they're, uh, and they're a part of it so I see mr. mr. Van back there was you said
3: Exactly being down man, so yes, jump right in sir yeah uh, very interesting dialogue uh, y'all want to take some notes thinking about some things as always so uh, come to the mic. several several things uh, come to mind
1: uh, one I'm always thinking about find who we are and get so much further away from our own our own identity and finding that exploring and creating our identity I think um you, a, a fine example is you know, the lack of access to arts in school, the ability to express and to create and to say, I am the maker of, um, and I have the ability to generate and to create something that's reflective of my experience. Very rarely do we have that anymore, especially for a young black and brown people in schools. And to be able to do, and to be able to make and create with, by being informed by your history and your past and understanding that, you know, um, there's a there's a man by the name of George Wells Parker, and he was one of the very first uh one very first African Americans to um gr- to graduate from Creighton and Harvard Universities in the early 19 teens, and came back to Omaha, um and helped resettle blacks during the Great Migration, in the Red Summer of 1919. So 100 years ago, this man was here, with with. Uh, you know had gone and got the prestige of the education, but, but specifically started an organization called the Hemitic League of the World, where he preached about what he talked about and gave us a, a speech to the Omaha Philosophical Society about the African origins of Grecian civilization. So the history that we know of Greece, you know, right. all the, you know the gods and, and the statues and all that stuff. How, when we learned it in school, how often are you told that there are black people there? It is assumed that everybody there was white. The statues was white, so there was no, there was all white people. That is fundamentally not true, because if you look at Greece, in proximity to the Mediterranean Sea, in its proximity to Northern Africa, and if you look at archaeological evidence, which George Oles Parker went to, he went to the white schools and saw the archaeological evidence. It's like, wait a second, we were there the whole time. You told us that we weren't. He convinced us that we were not a part of the building and the, the construct and the, and the um, development of these great societies. And so he then wrote a book called Children of the Sun. Children of the Sun, you can pick up at the Afro-American bookstore for $4. It is phenomenal. It's his pamphlet, George Wells Parker, and he talks about the African origins of a- in Asia, Europe, the Americas, Africa, starting with these, and with these archaeological evidence and these stories, references to art, um, you know oral traditions that were passed down and saying we were there and we always have been we have always been creators we've always been um, the foundations of great civilizations and the leaders of great civilization so why would we ever act otherwise and his advocacy spoke to with the himatically the world was economic liberation not just Not just economy and i get a couple bucks you get some bucks no he's talking about ecosystems ecology relations to one another how do we how do we exchange resources how do we maximize the use of those resources how do we evolutionize and evolve ourselves with the use of these resources and that was that was the approach and i think when we look i'd only learned about this man three years ago and he was here in omaha for a number of years and is buried at Forest Lawn Cemetery. Like, his his stone and everything is here. But when we don't know, aren't aware of the history and the people who are advocating and who are, who are doing the study of us in our culture and understanding that like, hey, we have all of this power literally embedded in our DNA. It is, um, and you aren't creating and, and had a place to facilitate that creation. It is so easy to put on somebody else's brand Put on someone else's name,
0: and
2: and identify yourself by that, and have your culture sold back to you. Wow. <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree. Because I, um, I read a book. I think it was called. I think it's called Stolen Legacy, and it just, just kind of on what you were talking about, and George it just. James. It uh, how, like the philosophers, Socrates and all of them. They got all the. They were taught in Africa, but Africa. that's but that's not told. No. They, and then like the question was, who taught them? How did they get all this? And nobody ever talks about the teachers, which were Africans. <laughs> but when we talking about the process and revitalization and development in North Omaha, if we all know that it's a process and even reengaging our people and getting them to really be on the same page as us, but this is going on now. How can we ensure that, yes, there is a process of getting the people to the table, but although they're not at the table, they're protected. How do we protect the community when we know the community still has some catching up to do?
1: So, I've been thinking a lot about spaces and places. Places that make you feel comfortable Places that inv- that you're invited to, that you uh, uh, a place that in- that feels um, welcoming. Mm-hmm. Too when we were ta- I mentioned earlier, too many of our places are hostile. This is not a place for conversation to thrive. This is not a place for us to interact. I cannot be here without having to make a financial commitment to do so, and that ch- that challenges people. Um, because if you don't have a if you don't have a place in which you feel safe, then how are you supposed to then uh, be vulnerable and share your stories and hear from other people and connect on a on a much deeper level if the, if the places in which you are are not safe. Um, so, and uh, we're, um, you know reviewing the civil rights movement, we saw that the church was a place for that. I think now we have you know there's a there's a movement towards secularism there's uh you know a breaking away of the church in a lots of different ways but i still i i believe that church is people so if we are able to have reclaim spaces and still be able to have, all, have this conversation that we're having but with more people in a place that is welcoming and inviting and encouraging then we're that much more able to influence people's participation and involvement. Does that make sense? And I've really been thinking about that. You know, instead of picking one denomination and saying, you need to subscribe to this denomination, otherwise we're not going to have a conversation, that isn't necessarily very welcoming. That isn't how all churches are, no. But there's a connotation that comes with denominations, that comes with a a focus on like, well, we're going to reference the Bible solely. One of the most impactful classes and conversations I've had was when we drew from Multiple texts from from the Quran, from, from the Bible, from um, uh, Tikkun um, from you know fr- from all these different sources that explore the human condition, and, and as well as um, you know things like Children of Sun. When we start referring, when we start broadening our perspectives and saying that like it is not one book that will provide us the answers, it's actually so much information out here that we could be talking about in a space that incur- that invites. That, I've been, I'm talking about school, I'm talking about church in this very nebulous way, but it's about a place that we create to gather people and to have, to talk out these ideas amongst ourselves. So, that we, And if we can't even contend with ourselves and have you know, debate with one another, how are, we, how are we all at all expected to go out in the world and be able to, and to withstand and to speak up and to have voice if you're not even able to do that within the community you say you represent? where you come from
0: you know uh, the spaces you're talking about are called healing healing the healing spaces um mm-hmm. with the emancipation of dr giles uh, we i was afraid to be able to, i call it black folks okay i got so much pushback calling this black folks on a But at the end of the day, a lot of our issues don't have nothing to do with white folks. It has to do with us. We are the true liberators. We gotta keep our own struggle. But whatever the, whatever the case may be, we can't seem to find enough people to be able to carry that message. Mm-hmm. So how do we have these safe spaces to become vulnerable to, agree to disagree, and really be able to move our movement?
1: To throw something out there, and this is that I've been contending with as just an example as a way to, to work towards these healing spaces. On 25th and Evans, there is a church for sale, it was built in 1910. There used to be Good Tidings back in the 50s, St. Um, uh, Paul's. It is a massive space with apartments next attached to it. It was the rectory of St. Paul, and it's on, it's on the market for $300,000. Only, only $300,000 for this massive space. Yes, yes. And there's, there is, very rarely will you ever find anything of that size, with that type of architecture, with being placed right in the middle of 25th and Evans, right behind Evans Tower across the street from, from the community center. Like, it is a prime location on the 24th Street corridor that's just sitting, empty, vacant. It's been, it's been degrading over the last 20, 30 years. And is now on the market. Something I've been thinking of is, well, why don't we get 300 people with $1,000 or more and buy the building? Now, I don't have $300,000, but I can figure out how to get 1000 with, with my family and pull some resources. If you started with something like, hey, we are we as a community are going to buy this asset. Because we could go to a foundation and say, hey, foundation, please buy this building for us and program it and all that kind of stuff. But that's not the point. It is about our collective ownership of this asset in our community that is literally sitting vacant. And um, I've been contending with the idea of calling the School of Movement and Progress. One, dance and music is the center of culture. If you're not connected to your body, it's much harder to be connected to your mind. I'm a dancer myself. We don't have spaces to move freely. How many places can you go just to go move freely without constraint? Maybe the why? Maybe the gym? Maybe the basketball court? But what place is saying, hey, come move your body in every in any which way that you might, especially when you're dealing with, with with communities that have trauma embedded in their blood you need a place to move period then to be able to have classroom space which this church does classroom space to have these very discussions that we're talking about to be able to contend with books and each other and debate and skill share because we have master masons who were once unionized, who laid the very bricks of these streets in the houses that we see, but they are in their eighties and don't have anywhere to share that that skill and that information. We have young people out here looking for something to do. So, what? Why not purchase something, a major, beautiful, valuable asset, invest in it, and then put, uh, and then make it a space for us to gather. You know, it went on the market two months ago. So it's been, it's, it's uh, very recent here. And um, I actually had an opportunity to look at it a few weeks ago. And it definitely needs work. But, it's, you know, it needs, it, everything needs work. We all need work. But we have contractors in our community. We have people who do drywall. We've got people who do brick. We've got people who do roofs. And this this physical structure could be a generator. It's a beautiful spot, it's got a flat roof, put some solar panels on it. You know, like, if we're gonna make these, if we're talking about we need to make investments, we need to be investing and buying the block, we need to be, you know, doing these things for each other, we need spaces to gather, well, let's let's start with one awesome space, make that investment, be able to move and educate within that space, and then from there, people who encounter it and who who are able to participate, they can go out and, and replicate the model. I got a family we got a family of uh you know there's 15 of us that got together and we bought a house Then we fixed up the house then some of us lived in that house and then once we we're living there we had the tools to go do the next thing you see what i mean like to to help replicate and create a model that is place-based because it's tangible but ultimately it's about replicating the, the philosophy like i
0: said uh, that that's that location is, is really a destination um uh, it's a story building the old UNO the first, that's the first building, uh, was out So that's some money connected to the historical, mm-hmm. uh, piece. I know for a fact it got eight apartments in there mm-hmm. and two downstairs. Yeah. And a huge, uh, John Beasley was actually looking at mm-hmm. to move into. So wow, it's, it's definitely caught my ear. <laughs> yeah, we definitely going to be looking into, definitely
1: going to be looking into, uh, seeing what we can do. Like, and Lots of various properties, but it will only make those purchases with the vote of the people who made the investment. Cool. So yes, yeah, like, co-op. You put a thousand dollars in, and we can build. And at the next member meeting, we all get together and we say, okay, we've got this much, uh, you know, uh, this much liquid cash that we can make these purchases in. We, we see that investing in this property would make sense with these ideas, you know, we can turn into this, it can be this, et cetera. talk about the potentials of the, of the return investment on this space. And people vote, the, pur- the purchase is made by the corporation, and then everybody collectively owns that. And then from then on, at each meeting, each gathering, they do, they have an education schedule. So they, like, if you're a member, you, get, you have, there's classes every week, there's gatherings, there's, they facilitate all kinds of information about economics and all that kind of stuff, but then ultimately you have a community-owned corporation purchasing properties, and that corporation cannot just go rogue because it's accountable to its shareholders. It's built into the charter. So it can't just like, oh, well, I'm gonna be one person and I'm gonna cut off all 300 members and take all the money and run and visit, and you can't do that because you'd be accountable to over 300 people. Like you know? cooperative? Yes, like a cooperative, and it's called uh, Real, a permanent real estate cooperative. It's a way to own a, own the assets, control the pricing, and keep housing affordable, while also making improvements as a collective.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: you're shaking your head No, no, I was, uh, just, going
3: was just going along with what he was saying. Just going along with what he was saying. It's usually uh, uh, some type of collective concept that's gonna work for us. The thing is though, comes back to the same theme of information to the people and those of us that are in the know or somewhat in the know or there's no anything we're all totally accountable and responsible for every bit of information that we have to, to contribute to the, our liberation so if we have something like that and we're not sharing it with others we're not getting it out to the masses that mean we're neglecting our responsibility and again this is part of the thing that is happening because we have too many fragmentations People over here, people over there, people. Are, this is why we need to be able to create that type of network to where we begin to connect these various organizations of people and bodies of people who say they are for black African people, mm-hmm. who say they are for the community, say they are for any of these positive things. But see, oftentimes you got these fragments. This, this group over here, this is why the coalition is good. Because you may not agree on everything, but if we, at least if you have a coalition on the ideals of those things that we agree on, or, then we can begin to connect to each other as a people as well as, as a community. Mm-hmm. When I, said, I, I split the two because as a people, there's things that we must do in the community, but as a community, we are a mixed community. We must always acknowledge that because as they say, no man is I no one is I etc So So our culture, our concepts, our ideals are not created in a fact. That's why, as African people within our mission statement, it says that we must always put our best foot forward. And putting your best foot forward don't mean we have to sacrifice ourselves to others. But what it means that we have to be able to serve ourselves to others by putting our best foot forward. And with that concept in mind, it also often can alleviate from us from being overcompassionate and always thinking that we have to in- involve other people in our business. Because the ultimate liberation is going to come from us. No people have been liberated by someone else. Power can nothing without a struggle, never have, never will. Frederick Douglass. See, so we can forget about all that. So, and another thing that uh, came to mind doing the whole length of the breadth of, of the conversation conversations what? One of the things that we lost out on too, and this may seem elementary, but it's really great even at its root, and that's our etiquettes and mannerisms. When we talk about a social, all of this is social interaction. Even if you talk about political, economical, or the social concept itself, it's all social interaction. And social interaction deal with people, objects, natures, or whatever concept we have of the limited and unlimited concept of life and death, etc. So all of these things are social. How we begin to think about each other, how we treat each other, how we respect each other, and how we, how we begin to act toward each other. That's the ultimate measure of that socialization. So when we talk about these things, we need to be able to do this bring it back and sometimes we have to begin at the beginning because a lot of our youngsters they don't know the way, they lost the way, they never talked the way so and even our older folks, our etiquettes and mannerisms are very important. It is very important when we acknowledge each other even when we pass each other. It is very important that uh, a youngster recognize someone older as an elder. That's very important and it it's very important that we recognize elders when we welcome ourselves in speeches and organizations etc we begin to reach out uh, to the elders or make mention of the elders. These, these things need to be incorporated. And this is where we begin to have the safe environments that you talked about. Mm-hmm. You can't have a safe environment because see, at the bottom of everything, the one thing that make all things work is sort of like music. And I'm not gonna pretend to know a great deal about music, but this we know on a common level just by listening to music, grooving on music. You know, whether you got the bass, the drum, the lead, everything else. But there's one instrument that harmonizes everything else together. That one instrument is the keyboard, the synthesizer. It harmonizes every else, everything else together. So I mean, you can do it without it, but once you add that to it, all of them begin to mix melodically and rhythmically to what the keyboard is, is doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And so, and, at the, and what I'm, I'm using that as an analogy to say that all of our ideals, see our ideals are only as strong as they are supported. One of the things that we have to galvanize with the people is a concept and a sense of moral responsibility, of, of loyalty and support. Everything works with loyalty and support. You take away loyalty and support, you don't have anything. That's why we don't have anything because we have neglected. That's You That's a you know. yeah. No, <laughs> So yeah. So we have to be able to uh, create the desire in us to have that loyalty and support. And our etiquettes are very, very important, very important. Because see, what holds everything together, is an analogy I was making to the keyboard, is the morality. You have to have a moral foundation, just like we were talking about all those different spiritual roots. We have to have a moral foundation. The moral foundation is what holds everything together. What good if it's going to do a sister or brother who's a police officer, a judge, a lawyer, etc. They're black, but they have no conscious mind. So if a sister or brother have no conscious mind of their blackness and who they're supposed to represent, You know, there's oftentimes just as worse as anybody else that's not black and serving and dealing with us. Then oftentimes that they're very hard, standing off, and we don't have that instant people connection. See, we lost our peoplehood by trying to be Americans in the abstract again. I have to keep saying it over and over and over so people really get it. You hear the words, but they only get it when they begin to internalize it and become part of their consciousness, part of their thinking, part of their questioning. Then they begin to think critical. Once we realize that we have been duped uh, integration had its place. It was needed because we've there ain't no way we can live in this country. Ain't no way we can sweat blood and tears and die at our people's fault and did all the things that we did to survive in this country and not be able to go where we wanted to go. But it was a trick. It was a rule. It was a, 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 a blessing and a bane in the sense that when that floodgate opened, it took all of our wealth for education, knowledge and people and power it Took all of those things from us. Then we started trying to become Americans in the abstract. We want to talk like them, walk like them, eat like them, speak like them. And I'm saying this clearly, but then there's nothing wrong with being a European, a white person, nothing like that. If you're a European white person, something like that. See, but if you're black, you need to have a black consciousness. But that black consciousness is not a negation to anybody else, right? Anybody else, love anybody else, right, to exist and build and bring things into creation the way that they see them fit to be for themselves as a people. That's all we ask. See, so. We have to be really, really aware of what type of consciousness we're creating within ourselves as a people, and it's only going to take a holistic approach. All of these things doesn't work, in my opinion, because they have not been drawn together. You get a piece over here, a piece. Over here. This brother, brother, what's your name, brother? Dewan. Dewan Yusa. Man, you dropping it real heavy. You. Look, I mean, I've been coming down here for quite a while, and this ain't a slight to Willie <laughs> or, or brother. <laughs> Oh, bro. What's your name, brother? Vitrino. It's not a slight book, man. This is one of the most powerful guests y'all done had. The way this brother driving it, man, I'm like, hey, you driving it real deep, you know. And so we have to be able to take this same type of mentality and we have to breathe this in ourselves. That's why it must be through a rights of passage type system. We have to breed it within ourselves. Then therefore we, we grow up from the butt of the duck on up. To with this information in our head, with this love and peace for each other, with this peoplehood conversation. Uh, consciousness, but we've lost our people' consciousness. Being Americans in the abstract, and man, look at the havoc it's causing us on, on us as a people. The way we're killing each other, murdering each other, hating on each other, backbiting on each other, putting down on each other. Man, we ain't hardly to anything right. We still survive. Local location, state location, national location, and worldwide African location throughout the uh, worldwide African community, and this includes the sisters and brothers on the motherland. Oftentimes when you hear somebody say, African, this, that, yeah, they got the culture, a lot of that a, in place, and, 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 and that's a blessing. But the consciousness isn't there as well, because they've been taught to hate us, and we've been taught to hate them. we got all this craziness going on. See, because we keep trying to be this and trying to be that, instead of identifying with our collective consciousness. That's why it's a process of Africanization. Even from them, from the motherland, have to be Africanized. Mm-hmm. They don't their their African selves, as well. So, so why do you
0: think it hasn't happened?
3: Oh, to this point. Well, uh, uh, several things. I'm gonna keep this one short, but I'm gonna just kind of get to the point on that. I think one of the main reasons it hasn't happened because history, like uh, James Henry, uh, John Henry Clark said, he said history is a clock by which we tell time by. See, you talk about the greatness of Kemet, You was talking about George G.M. book where he talk about the philosophers and all of them that stood at the feet of our ancestors and drunk from their wealth of knowledge. See, once we know that we have done it, then we know we can do it again. A lot of folks don't know that Kemet, and Kemet being the ancient and original name of what we call Egypt today, Kemet meaning land of the blacks, or Cam the blacks, and you also find a translation of Cam meaning Ham, Ham, Ham was Ham, land of the blacks, what was yeah. land of the blacks, Africa, so you find that right up in the Bible too, go Go to the second second chapter in the Bible. Because a lot of people don't think black folks in the Bible. I can show you what we're all <laughs> up with there. Go to the second chapter in the Bible. It's already talking about Ethiopia. What does Ethiopia mean? Ethiopia, okay, is Greek for what? Black or uh, burnt people of, of, of color. The dark okay. skin
1: okay. buns. Uh, uh,
3: uh, but the name, uh, the true name that we called it was Tanihisi, land of the blacks. See, so you don't get around black in ancient times. And this is something we got to be aware of. In ancient times, you know what the most beautiful thing to be a part of? It was black. Black was the thing. When they seen them pyramids, when they seen silk and all of those things that we have created, when they seen jewelry, metallurgy, and all of those things, man, the world was fascinated. That's why Kemet had to fight everybody. Imagine yourself fighting a thousand kindergartners. You would laugh at first, like, i got these little four or five years old, I ain't doing nothing to me. But after a while, they begin to weigh you down. So, yeah, you were brutal, you was strong, and all that compared to them. Then they begin to weigh you down a thousand of them. That's what happened to ancient Kemen. The world saw how beautiful it was. Ancient Kemet affected India, China, you name it, Europe, every place. Even our modern day thoughts now are, are, are rooted in ancient Kemet. Whether you're talking about binary numbers or whatever, computer systems, whatever, you find this existence in ancient Kemet. Whether you're talking about uh, hydraulics, etc., you find that in ancient Kemet. Hydraulics way back when? See, so once we know that we have done it, what we have done, we're more capable of doing it, doing it again. But this is why they got this concept of brother named Chuaizu when we talk about the colonization of, of knowledge. This is why, for the most part, knowledge is colonized. It keeps us sort of blinded to look at a certain way. That's why a lot of people be talking about that those videos, hidden colors, one or two If anybody ever seen those hidden colors, real deep. A lot of that information, a lot of us have never heard of. But George Jim Jackson, uh, uh, John Henry Clark, uh, 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 what's the brother's name? Uh, John John Henry Clark, uh, uh, uh Ivan Berset, Vancertauma, all these these folks been around for a long. Yusuf Benyakina for a long time. These are some of our greatest scholars, for real. Guess what? Go out there and ask the average African person about George G M James. Go out there about Yusuf Ben Benyakina, John Henry Clark. Ask somebody they don't about them. Guess what? They won't. That's what we have failed as a people. We left our peoplehood to someone else. We left our Wealth are a direction to someone else. That's why right now we always talk about they, them. They, them. We know who they or them is. And we're always looking for they and them to fix our problem. Like you said earlier, the greatest battle that we have, like France Renan said, the greatest battle that any people, person would have is the battle with self. The greatest battle we have as African people is our battle with self at this point. Because the truth be told, there is nothing stopping us. We did the homework with the yes, civil rights. Yes. We did the homework with the legal stuff. We done a lot of stuff. We changed the world. When we did what we did with the civil rights movement, we changed the world. And when I was speaking earlier, I was not bashing integration. It has its place. We changed the world.
0: I think we got away from we were so concerned about civil rights. We forgot about economic rights. Yes. Because everything that we everything that we needed was in our community. Everything that we needed,
1: but we felt the ice was colder. So this is what it is. A concept um, of teaching and learning that really stood out to me as I've been to learn history is the, the liberation schools that were developed by the, the Panthers throughout the 60s. And we actually had our own liberation school here, the Vivian Strong Liberation School, funded by Mondo O'Elonga and Edward Poindexter. And, and, mm-hmm. and um, where, where I physically live right now was next to what was the liberation school. There was nothing there. It was a house, it was, it was Mondo's house. Um, and it's gone. There is no evidence of of that of the school, except for maybe like some signage and some some. Uh, pe- if you talk to some people who might have like direct personal history, and there is documentation that it existed, that it was created after Vivian Strong's death in nineteen sixty nine, but it, it we have no recollection or no detail of it. I I bring that up because the liberation schools were just that. They're like instead of. Giving our children to a system that is telling that is not informing them about their Africanness, that is not telling them about the, the scholars and the history and the legacy from which they come, then because it, it's not that's not how it's designed. I mean, if you look at OPS, you have a, you have a what we call what's called a majority-minority population being taught by mostly white people. So if you have mostly black and brown children in your school system and there are no people that are educating them, that look like them, they're able to provide information relevant to their context, then they will, they are deliberately ex- not learning about themselves. And the liberation school was, you know, mamas, grandmas, grandpas, all the elders, people who have this information in their blood, who have experienced it and being like, hey, I want, I'm gonna sit you down and tell you, the, to tell you the real history. I'm gonna let you know what actually happened. From and, and with with uh, with Afrocentrism being being like hey you understand that your blackness is not to your detriment it's actually to your advantage and here's how and why and here's the people who demonstrated it just like you said if you don't know that it took place then you can't even participate and so when I think about you know the, when I'm talking about the church and the school of movement and progress specifically having that mentality of. Make our own, if we if we don't like how our children are being taught, let's start our own school. Let's find a place and develop our own curriculum. Let's make a place and move together in unison and show what it looks like to cooperate and to share an idea and um, to dance together, to move in a sense of harmony, to have that synthesis like we were talking about earlier. I love the word synthesis. It's an incredibly powerful term and an and ability to be able to take something from over there, from over there, from and bring it together, and show how it can work harmoniously. And I mean, I was on a I was just on nature walk today, just like through, through Neal Woods, uh, well through Final Forest, and you see it in nature. It's literally around us. But when we are penned up in in urban in our urban concrete pens, and we are not allowed to connect with nature in that deeper sense, we're like, man, I hate bugs. I hate trees. I hate birds. I hate animals. I hate seeing. The beauty and the harmony of everything else, because that's not—that's we're not, we're not taught to connect to those things that I do sense. If you—if you've only grown up in a concrete box and you've never seen the how pristine and perfect and harmonious it can be, just outside of all of that, you have a major disconnection from yourself and understanding your relationship to the great to the greater scheme. The the you know the the power that be, because you've never even had that relationship. So I see an opportunity to reclaim space, to practice the philosophies and have the conversations that we know we so desperately need, and to be able to facilitate activity that is healing, that is restorative, that is regenerative. Because we got, a lot, we got all kinds of issues and traumas and things to work through, and it's not gonna happen overnight. But if you have a place that you know you can go to to be healed and to work and to work alongside, your community and in that healing there's so much power there's nothing that they literally once those bonds once those bonds are formed they're almost impossible to break. definitely i think
2: i like the idea and i agree with the liberation schools and the panthers and it's also been other examples throughout like time or history of black people forming their own organizations and schools and teaching themselves I mean, you,
1: went, you just went to one, didn't it you? can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that
2: about the black campaign school okay uh but what i was getting to is we have those examples but we also, we also have the examples of how this nation did its best to destroy those organizations and make sure power didn't grow from within those so i think that Yes, we could create it, but we also have to create some type of system to protect ourselves. Because then history will repeat itself. We can't just blindly go in and say we're gonna galvanize fifty black people. They're gonna come to the school every day, and it's gonna grow and it's gonna grow. And then they're gonna see it. We have to be real. Like they don't want to see that type of shit. So we we gotta be mindful of that. We gotta be mindful of protecting ourselves. And yes, the um, the Black Campaign School was in D.C. It's a uh, it's a national organization uh, formed by the Collective collective Pack, and they put specifically, it, it's ran by black people, and they're trying to create black political power across the country on the state, federal, and local levels. It was great to be in a room with black people with the same mindset as you that wanted to do something make changes in our communities, it's rare you see that many black people talking real and being unapologetic. Like, like it. it it's hard because usually you'll be in one of those rooms and then you'll get a few people to say, uh, I don't think we should do that. Like, you, you, for real, you get people that scared. <laughs> and like, and, so I, I just thought it was great. It was a good experience to just connecting with people across the country, because like you said, it's not a just about the local, it, we, we have to universally connect with each other if we really go create change. Mm-hmm. We can't just think about Omaha. We can't just think about America. Mm-hmm. It's black people everywhere. Wow,
0: man. This is uh, about 10 minutes after 8. Uh, <laughs> talking like this, man, it really get time flies. But make sure you uh, announce about the uh, Apple Seed.
2: Oh, um, Thursday at 6 p.m. at uh, Urban Abbey. Um, Nebraska Appleseed is hosting an event called "Let's Talk Medicaid Expansion." I think every Black and Brown person, person in this community, should be there because they're the currently our state is trying to implement some work requirements and other things that is going to harm you and harm our community, probably the most. Um, Medicaid expansion was passed in the election, but it still hasn't been implemented because of these work requirements that the governor and the Department of Health and Human Services is trying to put up, put in place. And I think it's important that you know about it so we can all start speaking out about it. It can't just be one person, like you said, saying this is wrong, this is wrong. We all need to be there. And uh, really just come educate yourself about Medicaid expansion. Great. Uh,
1: and then um, NOISE, you can follow us Noise at NOISE Omaha on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NOISEOMaha.com. Um, we will be out during Native Omaha Days with information. Uh, we'll have some, uh, some little booklets, with, uh, and then our text number will be out by that time too. So um, definitely come out during Native Omaha Days. That's a great opportunity to have everybody around and gather and for ideas to be able to catch fire really quickly because everyone will be interacting with one another. So um, you know, come out, participate, get involved, um, especially with the Stroll Down Memory Lane. There's some really great um, history to learn about. And um, feel free to reach out to Noise and say, hey, I need to hear more about this. Um, that's literally what we're here for is to hear directly from you um, and tell us what kind of information that needs to be covered. Yeah, I'd just like
3: to add that I want to just put out the word for anybody who's interested in be doing a speech on any topic dealing with the African perspective, whether it's political, economical, social, et cetera i would mean, be definitely willing to do that for, for as long as a honorarium and let's get together and make some things happen and start building on some of these concepts and ideas I've been mean, putting out here. So uh, contact me at 531-205-5995. Also, I'm a, a poet as well, unpublished author, a creator of a socialist theory called I uh, Dubbed myself a social cultural theorist. And that's where the perspective that i come from when i come from the social perspective of all things because i think that it's the once you understand the social concept begin to connect everything to it you begin to see that everything works based on two principles loyalty and support that's why some people can do any and everything they can have the silliest show silliest program silliest ideals, and folks come support it see because they have loyalty and support We take the most serious ideas and barely get support. Because we have not done the work of making sure that our people are conscious. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to do with my life, my life work, make sure that we are conscious as African people to those things that we need to be doing, that we aren't doing, and we should be doing. That's called social voice. 80 plus percent of our speech is about what we are doing as African people, aren't doing as African people, and need to be doing as African people. That's called social voice.
0: Um, I want to announce the kickoff of the school year, uh, the main part of March, uh, Take a Child to School Day, uh, which you can offer at monthly elementary, 53-22, the month, 52nd school. Also, we're going to end up having a fatherhood engagement summit that will take place at North High between 10 and 5. And some of the issues that we'll be talking about will be mental health and wellness, uh, Mr. Ken Morris will be facilitating that. Uh, Mary, Mary uh, Duncan, uh, Dr. Richard Brown, and Frank Bailey will be uh, on that panel. We have a panel from Fatherhood from Diverse Views. We have Native Americans, Sunnis, uh, Blacks, and on that particular panel. And then lastly, we will have fathers the mass incarceration, uh, William the D.M.C. Aljamal binding will definitely be uh, um that particular uh, workshop uh, with Juan Stennis, Juan and Yusef, and looks like Terrell will be on our panel as well. So, come out and um, get involved with the Positive Engagement Summit. Everything's is going up when a fathers father is actively involved in the child's education. Discerning for now, uh, drop-off for now, um, behavior for now. Everything goes through the roof. Highly uh, different things. So take opportunity to be able to come out and engage fathers. This year was the year of fathers. And we're gonna be doing some uh, a book drive for culturally relevant books uh, because we know that math and literacy is a huge issue. And a lot of our kids are graduating and can't read in fifth and sixth grade. It's very important that we have this conversation with the fathers. Um, so, the 14th through
2: the 17th at North High. Hey, too. Thank, you. Right thank you. Thank you. Thank you, all guys, for coming, and thank everybody, for tuning in. See you next
0: week. All right, y'all. Peace.